Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Deplorable Nation. I'm your host, Deplorable Janet, and today I have a lovely new guest to the show. Heard her on Mr. Colby's show, Conspiracy Playtime, and he thought we would make um, a really good fit. So I'm super excited that she has agreed to come on my show. Um, She and I are going to have a deep discussion, I'm hoping, about the nursing field and uh, things that are issues, things that hopefully can, um, you know, suggestions that might resolve things and talk about her new business and what she's doing now to help out fellow nurses. So welcome, Miss Katie Harris. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So tell the listeners like a little bit of background about you and and what made you get into nursing in the first place? Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. So I went straight into nursing um, from in college. I went into nursing. So when I was about 16, I was like one of those teenagers that had a million ideas. I was going to be a judge one day and, and you know, <laughs> and then an astronaut and whatever, um, going through all the stages. And then one night I, uh, I actually had a dream and I woke up and I was like, I need to be a nurse. So I go down tell my parents, I'm going to be a nurse. And they were like, all right, well, we'll see what you say tomorrow. But, you know, from that day forward for the next two years, I was adamant that I was going to be a nurse. So my parents were, they were actually devastated because my dad had these visions of me becoming an actuarial scientist. Mm. Which, a couple of years ago, I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I went bought whole life insurance and then I was like, oh, that's what I would have been doing. <laughs> you know, all, the, all the numbers out of how much you're worth when you're dead. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm like, that would have been a miserable career. And, and given that I'm not very detail oriented, um, <laughs> it would have been a, a horrible career. <laughs> Um, but anyway, I went straight into it um, and I wasn't the best student. I'm, I always have flight of ideas, want to do a million things. And, you know, nursing school was uh, it was an ends, a means to an end, uh, so to speak, but got through it, got my first couple of jobs and then found a lot of flexibility in the in the profession. You know, you can do travel nursing, you can go work on a cruise, you can travel the world do all these things um and so it it did work out very very well and i found myself back in i made my way back to business um, from nursing really based on a lot of the problems that i was seeing and they weren't getting resolved and that, that's how i kind of made the four-way foray back into the business world and and made my parents proud <laughs> <laughs> they're like Woo-hoo! right making your parents proud <laughs> I did mine backwards. I went to school for business first and I was like, oh, wow, this is not for me. I, I hate this. I don't like doing finances and numbers and accounting and all of that stuff. And I was like, this is the wrong career choice. Bad idea. Don't know where it came from. And then I turned around and went to nursing right after that. So Ours are very flip-flopped. Well, well, the funny part about that is that, uh, you know, at at the time, uh, I was working as an agency nurse. And this is 1999, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, A long time ago. And I was working as an agency nurse. And I was making really good money. Actually, the best money I made, you know, in a lot of ever. And it was like $50 an hour. So it was a lot of money. Then it's a lot of money now. Um, but mm-hmm. $50 an hour working the days and hours that I wanted. And I had just finished my MBA. And, you know, so I'm looking at $50 an hour. And I'm now I'm looking at starting at 
the the beginning, like you know, the the bottom of the corporate ladder, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> don't pay well at all. And I was like, mm, and I really stuffed my nose up at it. So I didn't actually even use my business degree that I finally got. Um, I just paid for it for twenty years. So. <laughs> <laughs> sold your soul <laughs> exactly <laughs> so did you i'm assuming you did travel nursing then when you were working uh, for agency or did not, you just do not, facilities yeah not in the way that uh people do it today so i would you know i really i so i was living in houston when i first graduated nursing school it was the only time there was a nursing surplus of, of course my luck so mm -hmm. uh, there were actually hospitals that had given full scholarships to nurses they were turning them away because they had so many nurses you know they couldn't afford to to hire them so mm -hmm. they said that would go away and I, I wasn't one of those people because i didn't have the gpa to get a scholarship from hup or hospital university of pennsylvania but um I, so at the time there were so many nurses and no jobs. I couldn't get a job in a nursing home, which, you know, the nursing homes are notoriously desperate for people constantly. Right. Uh, and every day I was living with my parents and every day I would come home and my dad would be like, well, did you try this hospital? I'm like, no, I, I never thought of that hospital. Like I, I applied to every single hospital in the tri-state area. Um, so finally I got one of the, I don't know if you remember the nursing spectrum, but they had a bunch of ads in the back um, and I found two jobs one was in Roswell, New Mexico, and the other one was in South Texas. And uh, at the time, I was, I thought Roswell was a weird place. Now I'm right, right. You don't want to go down there and work with the alien population? Yeah, I, I would love to do that now. Like, I'm fascinated by that topic. But at the time, it was a little, a little too much for me. So I ended up in South Texas, um, you know, working with a bunch of Canadians. I actually didn't have any American friends living in Texas. They were all Canadians. So... So where are you from originally that you wound up in Texas? Yeah, in Philadelphia. Oh, that was that was the point I was trying to make. So I ended up traveling back from Texas to Philadelphia, and that was my one travel assignment. Um, but then I switched to agency, and then I would work really hard, and then I'd take three months off and spend three months in France or three months, uh, you know, in this place or six months in Australia. And so that was how I did travel nursing. I did it kind of backwards, I guess, because everybody else gets paid to travel and I'm paid to travel. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad idea, Katie. <laughs> Didn't think that one through. <laughs> yeah, see, you and I entered the field like right around the exact same time. And it was very difficult, even locally, you know, where I grew up at to, to find a job and to find something, especially that, <clears throat> that paid, uh, slightly more than minimum wage the pay was not fantastic and of course in the area I'm from we didn't have like agency work and stuff like that it wasn't a thing yet because I'm a, from a very small Indiana town and so um, I got very lucky <clears throat> with my very first job I wound up working for a teaching hospital and so I was lucky enough to I guess experience all the different kinds of of specialties and be like I like this I don't like this was there anything um when you were going through nursing that you absolutely were like I'm not a fan of this type of nursing I don't want to do this 
Well, I was, uh, for some reason, I was convinced that I was going to work in cardiology. Um, and I said, the only two things I'm not going to do in my nursing career are work neuro and work night shift. So <laughs> after all of that, I get a job on the neuro floor at night, right? So <laughs> first, like, shoving it to me because it was, and I had to move to South Texas to get that, you know, that job. <laughs> Uh, and then what I really wanted was ICU. I wanted to work in shock trauma because I wanted to go back to, to cards and, and that kind of stuff. But um, the only position that was available in the hospital system was neuro ICU at night. And so I took the job thinking I'd eventually switch over. And when I got my first trouble assignment, it was in a neuro ICU. And then my first agency job, they, the only opening was neuro ICU. So um, really the universe sticking it to me. So I ended up staying there for like 20 years. Never got out of the neuro ICU. Um, ended up doing my master's and my um, my PhD on a, a neuro, neuro topic. So. so were you going to school for that while you were actually working? Uh, I am a school lover. I just, I loved going to school, loved collecting degrees, kept thinking that the, the degrees were going to take me somewhere. But ironically, in nursing, every time you get a degree, you get a pay cut. Mm -hmm. so I, <laughs> I was making $50 an hour as an RN, got my first job as a nurse practitioner on the neurosurgery service, and I dropped down to $35 an hour. So big pay cut. Mm -hmm. And then PhD, I took a 30% pay cut from there. So I've actually gone, I've been doing a lot of things. You know, and that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand because they, you know, a lot of people choose nursing because it's a, you know, it's a passion that they have, but they think they're going to get very wealthy as a nurse. <laughs> there, there's certainly periods, right? Like COVID uh, was a great period for some nurses anyway. mm -hmm. yeah but unfortunately along with that comes the hours yes. lots and lots of hours so were you more of like a 12-hour shift kind of person i was i was a 12-hour junkie nurse you know i just uh, if there if i had a free hour i was always looking for how i could fill it and there was actually a point where i discovered that i could work 12 hours at one hospital get off get to the next hospital and you know do 12 hours at that hospital doing the night shift but i was a nurse practitioner at the time so most of it was i got to sleep for a good portion of the night um, but uh, you know, I was like, oh, I get to work twenty four hours. You know, but <laughs> so was it was it because you you really enjoyed what you did, or I don't know, because you're the type of person that can't sit still. I can't sit still, and I like <laughs> spend money, so <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> I better go to work before I go shopping. <laughs> it prevented me from shopping, right? Exactly. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny. So you. You had this dream about about nursing and being a nurse. What was that exactly? Uh, it was very apocalyptic. So it was like, and I don't remember anything other than there was pure devastation. I was there um, and I had to be a nurse. That's all I remember about the dream. Um, and it, it was compelling enough that I stuck with it because my life that I haven't gone down a million different rabbit holes. Uh, Understandable. It still resonates with me. I can still see it like it just happened, um, but I don't have any details about it whatsoever. So what was your, um, what was your favorite thing about working in nursing? 
Um, I loved my work family. Uh, they were, so I ended up in this one hospital. It was a little tiny neuro hospital uh, and it was neuro ICU and they specialized in cerebrovascular and it was super, super intense. Like the docs were intense, the nurses weren't, everybody was intense. Um, so we were always had a lot of drama going on, but it was fun and we did everything together. And it's hard, it's hard to say that, you know, neuro ICU, people come in dying and you're like, this is fun. But <laughs> There was something about the camaraderie that we all had, that we all bonded over such an intense situation. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I love that. And I didn't go on vacation for years because I didn't want to leave. And, and Your not, people. Yeah, I didn't want to leave the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the people that you work with make all the difference because working in, in different units and ar around different things. There are some people that you run across that you're like, wow, seriously, you did not pick a good profession. <laughs> you, sh you should have been like a morgue person or something <laughs> where you don't have to actually talk to living people. <laughs> That's why we did night shift, right? I love night shift. <laughs> Night shift with neuropatients. I mean, come on, like they're vented, they're comatose. It's, it was great. So since you really never wanted to be in neuro and that is kind of where the universe put you was in neuro, I'm assuming since you stayed in it so long, you must have actually started to really enjoy it yeah. and yeah. not just the people. <laughs> I love neuro. I went to all the neurosurgery conferences. Uh, you know, I bonded with the neurosurgeons. They taught me how to do all my procedures. So there's, there's, uh, and I did all the OR with them as well. So there, mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot that a neurosurgeon could do that I couldn't jump in and, and help out or help. Do a, mm -hmm. a large part of. Right. And I think um, for the most part, the neurosurgeons were my favorite doctors to be around. Um, because they seem grateful mm -hmm. for your, for the most part, for your knowledge and help. Whereas some of the doctors were very, um, you're a nurse, get away from me. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was, it was really that relationship because they depended on me heavily. Whereas, you know, they, so I worked for years and I was the one person that they would come to and they would just say like, this is what needs to be done. I'm like, all right, I'll take care of it. And mm -hmm. then I went my way and they'd come back and it's done and everybody's happy. But then we brought in a bunch of neurointensivists and the neurointensivists wanted to micromanage every aspect of it. And that doesn't fit my personality. You know, I can't be micromanaged. Mm -hmm. um, so we had like a big falling out and I just, I'm like, I just can't stay here. I felt so pigeonholed or, or something. I don't know what it was. It was completely different. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I wanted to take care of things and I was happy taking care of things, but I wasn't happy helping somebody else take care of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. And I think for me, tides really changed a lot when the hospitals decided that they were going to bring in um, a fresh crop of doctors to be hospitalists. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And they don't know the patients and they don't know the units and they don't know the staff. And it was very uh, like I could probably say we probably lost at least 50 percent of the nurses when they brought in those doctors on staff trying to make it easier and streamline it. So 
right. your your everyday doctors don't have to go make rounds. We'll just let the hospitalists do it. Right. Yeah. And it just it adds a whole lot of confusion because people mm -hmm. walk, they you know they walk there's so many different people walking into the patients' rooms telling the patients different things that mm -hmm. nobody has the actual story. Like you, you don't know what's going on. And we mm -hmm. had so many problems with that. Um, you know, they'd be like, oh, that doctor just came in and said this and that doctor came in and said that. And you're like, I don't know, neither one of them talked to me. So I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> but yeah, it was really, it's really stressful that way. And I don't think the hospital management realizes how much of the culture of a hospital is defined by how the nurses work together because they don't mm -hmm. seem to respect that, that culture at all. No, and I completely agree with that because it's, I would love for uh, hospital administration to have actually worked on the floor. Mm -hmm. I think that should be a requirement for, you know, any facility or even in a, in a doctor's office and they have an office manager that has no, you know, medical knowledge or expertise or, or anything like that. And they always put people in charge that make it not only way more difficult for the staff, but way more difficult for the patients and their families too. Yeah. Because of all the confusion and the, you know, like crazy ideas that they have as cost saving measures, which end up making things <laughs> a, a thousand times more expensive. Right. Yeah. And I don't think they recognize, or I don't think they they, they see nurses as commodities that need to be managed as opposed mm -hmm. to uh, people who actually can manage themselves and fix the problems. And, and that was, mm -hmm. you know, because it, nurses come to management all the time with issues and problems and, and solutions to those problems and mm -hmm. frequently get dismissed. And to me, that's a lot of what uh, burnout is, is that if you're putting out the same fire every single day, you're bringing up solution, the problem and solutions, and you're getting ignored. The burnout isn't the work. The burnout is that being ignored. Um, mm -hmm. right? You're just kind of like, well, and I got to that point too, where I'm like, well, that's just the way we do things here because everybody's an idiot. And, you know, you have that kind of <laughs> apathy and it doesn't, you know, it, it you, you do, you burn out. You just don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. And that is so very true. One of the things that they had me do, they started this um, initiative that was the value analysis team. And it was to figure out what they were spending the most money on and how we could go about not spending that kind of money. And then it got into, uh, they wouldn't listen to anything anybody, any manager brought to the table, but they would do dumb things. Like they would get rid of all the BD natals and they would buy some off-brand that when you poked it in a patient's butt, the needle would literally bend like an L. And I'm like, that's not damaging at all to, you know, somebody that's getting multiple injections or whatever. And they've got all these L-shaped needles stuck in their butt or their thigh or, you know, whatever. So they didn't make the smartest decisions. Right. And it's really not how much money you're spending. It's how much is 
being wasted on things, right? Like mm -hmm. they did the same thing to us. They would take um, kits that we had that were really nice and, you know, let's say 10 bucks a kit and get this cheap ass brand. But then mm -hmm. we'd have to like break open other kits to, <clears throat> to get the stuff that we actually needed out of them. So now mm -hmm. we're using like three kits to you know, supplement the one kit that didn't have all the, the supplies that we need because it was more expensive. And I'm like, well, how much more expensive is opening three kits versus, you know, one kit that was a little bit more expensive? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think a lot of times like quality suffers um, a tremendous amount when they do things like that, because they don't exactly um, use their smarts right. <laughs> or, or they may be lack, lacking in smarts. I don't know when they decide to do those kind of things. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was funny is that we had a management change and this is like 10 years ago, maybe it's longer I'm losing track of time, but um, they, so they brought in this group it was like the McKinsey group or the McKinley group or whatever it's called. And they're a bunch of consultants and they're like, we want you to go through the hospital and find out what all the problems were. Well, the, the McKinsey group was smart and they went to all the nursing units, held focus groups, um, found out what all the problems were from the nurses. Then they took all of those problems, came up with their own management plan, presented it as, as their own um, and gave that to the hospital leadership. They charged us like millions of dollars and mm -hmm. they got a percentage of like, you know, the amount of savings or whatever, whatever the percentage was that they got. But I was like, you didn't need a consult. All you had to do was talk to us. They could talk to your staff members. Yeah. Our, our hospital facility did the exact same thing. And it was like, oh, how do we fix all these problems? Well, let's pay this exorbitant amount of money right. for people that don't work in healthcare to come in and and shake things up just for them to be like, okay, well, we were already uh, worried about money, but we just spent like way more than was necessary. Right. And now let's cut all the nurses who are going to do the solution. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> And that's, that is like the, the one of the um, biggest pet peeves for me is the amount of hours and uh, stress and things that you go through at work. And then they're like, well, um, I'm sorry, we have to call you off because the census is low and there's no work for you. And we don't know uh, when it will pick back up you know, or you don't need this many staff members on your unit, even though you are really shorthanded anyway. Yep. And that was like the, the, their money saving like idea all the yeah. time was cut staff. Yeah. We just went through cuts like that. And I have a, a student, um, in my leadership program and she's a nurse manager and she was like, they came in and cut, you know, her clin specs or clin educators. Mm -hmm. So she's now a nurse manager and she has 109 direct reports. And I was like, that's a hell of a lot of reports for one person. And she's like, what do I do? I'm like, you quit. <laughs> <laughs> you don't work there anymore. <laughs> I'm like, we're abusing you. They're saying, you know, like they're saying these people were doing nothing. And, you know, it's and it's disrespectful, right? Because they're assuming that the the nurse educators and the clin specs are doing nothing. Is there waste? I'm sure there's waste, right? Mm -hmm. Do we need six of them? Maybe not. You know, maybe we could get away with five. But there, you know, there seems to be this lack of uh, measurement of what people are doing. Uh, and they just kind of cut line items without really knowing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then they pile, like, all of those jobs 
on somebody else. Right. And so not only are you in charge of your own patients and your own job, but now you have to pick up all of these other things as well. And then they're like, why can't you get all this done? I don't understand why, what, what makes you not be able to complete your task? And I'm like, right. <laughs> she had a full-time job before they gave her 109 direct reports. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of them were new to transition nurses in an OB GYN setting and, or like OB, whatever, uh, maternal baby. And mm -hmm. I was like, hmm. First of all, I'd quit because I don't like that. That was that was one of my my things. I'm like, I do not like ever. I had to do it <clears throat> at the teaching hospital, like here and there. But I, woo, I don't like that, and I don't uh, like anything having to do with the butt. Oh, oh. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind the butt, but you know, they sent me down to the burn unit one time, and I was like, and then we had a burn patient, and they're like, you got to scrub them down, and like. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, else. see, and I, I like that kind of stuff. Like me, I'm more of the bloody gutty. You oh, know, I, love I, I enjoy I stuff like stuff. that or things that are gross. Yeah. Uh, I like stuff like that. No, we had like uh, in uh, neuro, we always gave Dilantin all the time and it causes Stephen Johnson's in some cases mm -hmm. and the skin just like fluffs, sloughs off and they're like, they're like burn victims. And I'm like, I, I can't, I'm like, I'll, I'll take five of your patients. If you take this one patient. That's what we used to do too. There was a nurse that couldn't stand like anything bloody or gross. And she knew I couldn't stand anything with the butt. And so she would take like, you know, hemorrhoid surgeries or things like that. And I would take the other stuff. I'm like, I will trade you any day of the week. I'll do these other things because, yeah, you do the butt. <laughs> anything to do with poop, you've got that. <laughs> uh, I'll slop slit all day long. I have no problem with that. <laughs> the very first um, clinical rotation that I had. They assigned me to this lady and I went in, you know, was checking on her, getting ready to do her vitals and stuff. She went to try to use the bedside commode, but she had diarrhea. It literally went all the way up the separation curtain. Oh, God. <laughs> all over the floor, literally everywhere. And it was, I had to clean all that up. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> the very first day of clinicals oh my god one of my first days on the, the unit um you know i had this woman and she was scheduled for a hysterectomy and i got her up and we're doing her pre-op stuff uh, right before she goes to the or she goes to the bathroom and she comes back and she's about to get into bed and this thing like plops out between her legs and she's like oh don't mind me honey and she took it and she shoved it back up her vagina and i was like oh my god that was her freaking uterus just fell out of her and it was like i told this story to my parents later because they're like oh how's everything and i'm like oh and i thought this story was kind of funny to be honest and they were like so horrified <laughs> i stopped telling stories like now when people ask me how my day was at work i'm like it was fine you yeah, know <laughs> Nothing to see here. <laughs> don't ask. You don't really want to know. I would love to do um, like a, a nursing stories thing because there's so many things that you you see on a regular basis that that normal people don't that are not would would not even think to have happen or or whatever. I think that would be hilarious. It would be hilarious. <laughs> That could, might turn into a multi-part series. 
for sure. <laughs> I guess even now I get, uh, you know, they're not funny stories. I get some outrageous stories of like horrible things that have happened to, to nurses and reasons they've gotten their license taken away. And I'm like, is that even possible? Like, you know, I know there's multiple sides to a story, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. Some of the things that are happening out there. That's one of the things that they made us do before we ever took our board exams. We had to go and sit um, in a nursing meeting uh, where they were trying to decide if these nurses were going to lose their license or, or whatever. We literally had to spend a whole entire day in hearings. And they're okay. like, see, no, you can't. <laughs> you shouldn't you shouldn't write a bad check because they can yank your license for that. There was a lot of them up for drugs. Yeah. Taking things out of the, the drug system, yeah. which whichever drug system people use nowadays, because I know they've changed those quite a bit too. Um ours used to be the Pixis. Yeah. That was <laughs> old. <laughs> I'm dating myself here. Mm -hmm. That's so how was it for you? I'm assuming at some point in time you had like paper charting. Yes. Did you... yeah, we went through the epic transition. That was horrible. I was just going to ask you that because we got epic too. And it was, it was, oh my God, it was a horrific nightmare. Plus our doctor didn't know how to type. So that didn't make it fun either. But how was that transition period for not just you, but your, your other staff members? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was horrible. It was, it was just, um, it was very chaotic. And what it was another way that um, things were kind of taken away from us. And I'm not saying this was right. But for years, uh, the nurses ran the unit, like they did everything for the nurse. We had one neurosurgeon for literally like 50 critically ill patients. Um, mm -hmm ridiculous because he was in the OR all day. So we would get admissions and we would literally write out the entire admissions in red ink. Um, and by the time the surgeon came out of the OR, we had a stack, like this huge stack and he would just sit there and, and all he would do is sign. He didn't even always signing. We would order all kinds of crazy shit mm -hmm. um, and you know, whatever we wanted. So when, when the computer came along, now I sound like really old, but when the, <laughs> well, we are really old, so it's okay. Computer <laughs> charting came around, all of that kind of got taken away, right? Like we couldn't mm -hmm. put verbal orders into, uh, so we were that you, functionality that we did, all that stuff that we did for the docs, now got taken away. Now we literally had to, we couldn't do anything until computer orders went into the computer so it was a nightmare because the surgeons in the OR and we have to wait 12 hours you know mm -hmm. for a medication because we can't order anything until the, the orders go in mm -hmm. um, I don't think they thought that through when they transitioned everybody over like what the lag time in in patient care was going to be mm -hmm. plus I always say um, that is when patient care went downhill yeah because in a lot of facilities, it's like you would, they would put the computer in the room. Right. And it, you like your back was to the patient. Yeah. And I've read studies that say like 60% of your day is treating the computer, right? Like a hundred percent. Yeah. The computer for 60% of your day. Well, that's ridiculous. Now, did they train you guys well beforehand or was it like you had like a, eight hour training here and there. And then it would be like, okay, now go Katie and, and do. 
<laughs> go forth and be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm sure they, they did training for us, but you know, I'm the type of person that unless it's completely relevant to me at that exact moment, I'm like mm-hmm. somewhere else in my mind. It's like <laughs> 60 other things, making a list of things I need to do. And <laughs> mm-hmm. so I can't like, shut your brain off. Log in and I'm like, where's my login? They're like, you did eight hours of training for this. So. <laughs> I did. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't recall. <laughs> It was funny because when they implemented ours, we literally had two four-hour training sessions and they were like two weeks apart. And then it was like we were asking for specialized forms to be built for us that were like something that our doctor uses all of the time. Well, they didn't know how to do it. They didn't know how to do shortcuts for notes because when you have to do a lot in the computer, those shortcuts are fantastic where you can hit like a period and it types out like your entire sentence for you or whatever. Nobody knew how to do that. Nobody knew how to run reports. It it was a mess. And, and the, the people that were (laughs) her tech people that were assigned to us, we're like, I don't know. We'll have to call uh, Epic Support and find out for you. <laughs> we'll get back with you in a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's super painful. So I ended up doing um, some legal nurse consulting with my neurosurgeon who would get these neuro cases, obviously. And, um, you know, I would go through it, but the electronic chart created so much nonsense, right? Mm-hmm. Like I right. literally like h- hundreds of boxes of just stuff and you're going through it and it is, it's like somebody did, you know, they figured out the period dot, whatever. And then you just have this nonsense over and over and over again. I'm mm-hmm. like, this is the patient's awake, alert, oriented times three, and yet they're comatose over here, you know, and it's just, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's crazy how, you know, how much technology helps and how much it is completely useless, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, they keep building onto it. They never take anything away. They're never like, Hey, let, these things are redundant. These five pages are redundant. So mm-hmm. let's do that. No, instead they build page six and they make a six re- redundancy. And it's, mm-hmm. that's, you know, one of the reasons you're constantly charting because you have to hit that they were, they had their SCD stockings on in 16 different places every day. Mm-hmm. So, how did you enjoy the legal nurse consultant work? I was going to do that because I used to do a lot of chart reviews for the hospital. And then I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to do that. I hated it because like I told you before, I'm not a detailed oriented person. <laughs> but I love jobs. So I love taking jobs. I just don't like doing them. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be able to run around and do 60 things. Um, and so that's why a nurse practitioner was perfect for me. Being a nurse was perfect. Um, but having to sort through 600 boxes of, you know, charting is pure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I don't know that I would have enjoyed it. So I'm very glad I decided not to take that pathway. <laughs> I'm the same way. And it's hard for me to sit still. Um, and so even like if we're watching a movie or something, I usually can't get through the whole thing because I have to get up and do a hundred other things at once. So I guess we're very similar in that type of, uh, yeah, type of personality. I, I didn't even have a TV for throughout my twenties and thirties. It wasn't until like, you know, I had my son um, and I got a TV and now I'm like, 
a couch potato. So <laughs> hey, you earned it though. You worked really hard your whole life to be able yep. to do that couch potato thing. <laughs> so one of the things I want to talk to you about, because I know that you wrote a lot of different you know, articles, publications, whatever. But one of them that really got me, and I absolutely love it, is about compassion fatigue. Tell people like what that is and how that affects the workplace. Yeah, so, I mean, compassion fatigue, um, you know, I, I and like I said, this goes back to the idea of, you know, you're taking care of somebody and you see the same problems day in and day out, right? And they never get solved. And I always thought of healthcare as like a conveyor belt. And I had this imaginary scenario going in my head where, you know, they'd be put on this conveyor belt and we admit them. And the first thing we, we want to know is how do we get rid of them, right? So then mm -hmm. we bring the next person, how do we get rid of this person? And, you know, just this constant and they'd go to MRI and they do this and they go through the conveyor belt and then we kick them out. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that type of revolving door where you can't, there's very limited things that we can do in medicine, like Western medicine is amazing. And, you know, of course, if somebody cuts off my arm, like I'm going to the hospital, I want it stitched up, you know, I want I'm going to sew it on myself. Right. <laughs> right. I don't want acupuncture. I want somebody to sew my arm back on. Um, but you know, at, but beyond very specific things, you know, there's not a whole lot we can do. Like in neuro mm -hmm. ICU, you know, there's not a whole lot. You know, once the injury happens, the best treatment is to let the body heal itself and allow the body to heal itself. So, mm -hmm. You know, you see the same thing coming in over and over and over and over again. And it, it, it gets frustrating because there's no not that there's no prevention, but you know, the the prevention on the front side, which is what will really cure, you know, preventing the disease is, is the best cure mm -hmm. uh, in the first place. So it was kind of frustrating that way. And then on the back end, when you kick them out, there's not a whole lot of resources for them. And that was one of the things, it was actually one of the first businesses that I tried to start was, you know, helping once the patients were discharged, uh, providing like follow-up care Mm -hmm. uh, to them on upon discharge for the first 30 days because we had so many readmissions like people would get a headache and they'd call the office and the office would say well somebody needs to evaluate you come to the ed so they come to the ed and i'm like i just got rid of this person now and they're here again you know because mm -hmm. nobody, nobody had time to answer the question um so i think the comp the compassion fatigue is really just kind of seeing the same thing over and over and over again i don't think that you care about too many people and then you're just exhausted. Like, I don't, I mean, you have such a huge capacity to, to care and to love that I don't think, I think it's infinite. I don't think you get tired of caring of people. I think you get tired of doing the same thing over without a different result. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think um, this may sound like a silly question, but are, are you, are you an empath? Um, I like to think that um, I, read people's energies um, mm -hmm. to, so uh, to that extent, I would say, yes. Well, see, and that's, I think most, most, I'm not all, definitely not all, but most people who go into the nursing field are 
on some level an empath and being around, you know, all of the traumatic injuries, the traumatic stories, yes. uh, whether it's abuse, neglect, you know, you name it, whatever it is, being around that on a regular basis, literally day in, day out, all day long. It's really hard for some people to know how to manage that or how to handle that and not internalize all of that to affect your regular life. Yeah, you can't like if you were to internalize that. And, and that was one of the things because uh, we had a lot of uh, um, patients that would come in with, you know, quadriplegia. Right. So they dive mm -hmm. in 60 year old dies in no pole. They break their neck. They come in. But for me, you know, and most of us, we had a, a wall up. But the one thing that would break that wall is when the families and this used to make me crazy. They would bring in these pictures and make this right. like. Or, and I'm like, oh God, now that now I know that they haven't always been like this, right? Like that they mm -hmm. had a life yesterday and now they don't have a life. Mm -hmm. um, it, it always hit me really, really hard. Um, and, you know, I just, I hate it going into those rooms where there was lots of pictures and family. And yeah, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but it, it broke through the wall and I, it just made the work so much harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can understand that. And for some people, it's, it's really easy to compartmentalize like all of you know the things that they see and hear throughout the day and other people become so sensitized to everything mm -hmm. that goes on at work that it's hard to separate work from home as far as emotion wise right yeah i mean i i saw death and dying all day so I, you know if i were to internalize mm -hmm. there's no way i could have worked there it's just um mm -hmm. you know or but you know on the other side of that, there's certain units that I don't know if I could have compartmentalized. <laughs> you have my problem. <laughs> yeah, it's contagious. Pediatric ICU, dying babies, uh, mm -hmm. you know, oncology for pediatric, like all that kind of stuff. Like, mm -hmm. I, I just, I can't even think about it, let alone work there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it takes a really special kind of person to be in some of the fields in nursing. Pediatric stuff was one of my favorite things. Um, any kind of pediatrics because they, they're they just looking for somebody to kind of be on their level. Mm -hmm. And I used to love that. And, the, you know, I would talk to them like about cartoons or, or whatever. <laughs> I, I had a youngster at, at one point in time. Um, and so, you know, I, I enjoyed that. But it's really hard to watch like some of the things and even some of the treatment that they receive from other staff, mm -hmm. not just nurses, but doctors, whatever. Some doctors are not known for their bedside manner. That's, that's true. <laughs> Let's just say that nicely. <laughs> so what do you, what do you think is a, is a way to confront like, um, not just compassion fatigue, but fatigue in general with nurses and basically like things to do to like boost morale that businesses do not address. Right. Um, I'm not sure. Like I have a really dark vision of where the hospital system is going and mm -hmm. I don't know that there's any salvaging it. I mean, they've Same. treated Same. us 
uh, at like commodities, you know, they want to replace us with like robots, and robots. Stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and you see that coming and, uh, you know, they don't respect us. And even in the, the College of Nursing, like they don't respect right, our right. government. You mm -hmm. know, it's funny because we've had this conver same conversation for 10 years uh, at my university. And the conversation is, you know, we have nurse practitioner students, they all need placement. We have like 1,200 nurse practitioners or PAs in our system. And for some reason, we can't place 100 students, which is absolutely insane. Um, and then, you know, the conversation is like, oh, well, we have to place the medical students because they get grant money. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. You know, the College of Nursing literally floats the entire university, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Pay them like $50 million. Like that's just our extra income that we give to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like, okay, so you, there's so many graduate nursing students and they fund the entire university and all your defunct programs that don't make any money. Um, but you can't find a hundred preceptors. Um, you know, it's, it's that lack of respect for us, mm -hmm. um, for what we bring to the table that resonates in the university. And then it resonates in the hospital mm -hmm. and I don't see it improving. I don't know how it can improve unless there's nurses in leadership positions. And I mm -hmm. don't think that's going to happen fast enough before the whole thing kind of, implodes implodes and see i i have the same kind of um apprehension i guess like a massive apprehension about the healthcare system and where it has moved from and to and where it's going because like you mentioned the conveyor belt thing earlier that is literally exactly what it is because before i ever got into nursing i did like the billing the coding all of that kind of side of it, all the businessy side of things. And it was, it's very apparent in a lot of facilities that they do want to run things like a conveyor belt. What is the fastest way we can get people in and out? In some facilities I've worked at, it's even how much can we charge them mm -hmm. for super unnecessary stuff. Right. Now, I taught too, um, and I was also a site preceptor for the teaching hospital, which I was very happy to do that. But we literally had physician students, nursing students, medical assistant, phlebotomy. We, we did all of that through. And it's like, from my side of things, when I was teaching, one of the big thing was you, even though we have these standards in place for our students and you have to pass these students, they have to pass with a certain grade, GPA, whatever you want to call it. Then you would have the financial side where they're like, isn't there any way you can wiggle around to get your students to pass? Because financial aid is based on you know, whatever accreditation is based on like how many people successfully complete the program. And so they would want me to basically falsify records for people to put them out in the workforce. And I'm like, you can fire me if you want to, but that's not going to happen because what would you do if that nurse was assigned to your care or your child's care? And didn't know basic stuff. Right. That's not, not in any world acceptable. Yeah. And the reason why I brought that up is because 
Look at what happened during COVID. People that were in school at the time and they were passed through, whether it was nurses, medical school, law school, you know, whatever, they were passed through without ever having to complete the full rung of education. Yeah. A huge problem with that because now you have a bunch of very uneducated people on your hand who are taking care of others. Yeah. I mean, it was hard enough the traditional way. <laughs> you know? Right. When they cut that out, you know, I mean, you couldn't even have clinical experiences for what, like two years? It was a long time. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing is, and I think a lot of universities and stuff focus so much on book work yeah. and not enough on real world experience, occurrences, things you're going to run across. And some of the textbooks that I have encountered also were not correct. Right. And I'm like, I hate to tell you, but you might want to double check this publisher because <laughs> not okay. So one of the things that you said in a statement on your website is, and I kind of like this, um, you were being very genuine here, I feel, it says afraid of success and failure, you made a career out of going to school. Yes. Um, now you have a lot of degrees. I do. Is it just because you really like learning? Uh, like yep. soak it up like a sponge or just boredom or? Yes and no. So I thought with every degree that something was going to happen and it would open a door. And, and, and it, you were it, going to be a millionaire. Yeah. I, <laughs> but I was going to live in a box. Like <laughs> I'm getting these pay cuts, which was ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so, so I thought like when I get my master's degree, something will happen to me. When I get this master's degree, something will happen. When I get my PhD, something will happen. And, you know, part of the problem was, is that I didn't actually know what it was that I wanted. And I, you know, I was like waiting for something to happen that, I have no idea what it is. Um, and it wasn't until I decided to start my business um, that things changed. And I realized, ironically, um, none of the degrees that I have are of any use, even the MBA, which was completely useless, um, mm -hmm. were helpful in starting the business. Um, starting the business was about working with others and being persistent with you know, learning what I needed to learn to put it together. Um, but th there was nothing in any of my degrees that helped me get there. But I knew where I wanted to go. I had a vision. Like, I don't, I don't mean like a oh, vision. I mean, like I knew where I wanted to go. <laughs> I just, I knew what I wanted. And then things started to happen. Whereas before, you know, I spent a long time. And one of the reasons that changed for me was because I was at a point where I was really, really frustrated as a nurse practitioner. I was working all these hours with the physicians and I grew up with them. I grew up with my neurosurgeons and they would graduate and then they would go off and, and literally get a job for a million dollars and a title and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, I'm getting pay cuts. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just really, really frustrating. And then one day Walmart called me because uh, I was the director of the nurse practitioner program. And they said, hey, we're looking for a nurse practitioner. Can you help us? We need somebody to recruit NPs into our clinics down south. And I was like, please, God, take me. Like, take me. So I love you for physician. And I got, the, I got it. So I was the senior manager for talent acquisition for several years. 
And um, that was a lot of fun. And I got, that's where I started meeting nurses that were doing things. They were in the World Health Organization, they were ICN, they started businesses, they were doing this, that they were doing really exciting things. And all of a sudden my bubble kind of popped. And I was like, you know, I was, I was, when I was in the hospital, I'm like, well, if I don't work neurosurgery, I can work ortho or ENT. Like that was my mindset. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize there were a million other things that I could actually try. Um, so then uh, Walmart was, they were top heavy, uh, management heavy, and their clinics weren't, I guess, growing the way they wanted them to grow. So they, they cut most of us. And when that job got cut and I ended up back in the unit where I was working before, I was just kind of like, well, how long do I have to wait for another opportunity to drop in my lap, right? Because that's mm -hmm. exactly what happened. Like they literally dropped in my lap. Um, and that's when I decided that I wasn't going to wait for an opportunity, that I was going to create something. Uh, and that's what I did. I'm so glad that you did that. And tell so tell people like what it is exactly that you do and what they can expect from nursepreneurs. So nursepreneurs, we help nurses to start businesses and we have um, very structured business models like med spa, IV hydration, concierge nursing, um, you know, the content writing, that kind of stuff. Then we have more kind of um, problems. Now explain to, explain to people what is a concierge nurse? A uh, concierge nurse is basically... Uh, we started out with plastic surgery patients. So plastic surgery patients pay cash uh, for all of their stuff. And they, uh, I mean, the surgeons are really, really good and straightforward with their surgeries. And so they, they send the patients home the same day, but I've had patients that have like JP drains coming out all over the place and they just had their Foley out and, mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. So we pick the patients up, take them home and just stay with them, you know, and typically it's for a period of time, like six hours, maybe 24 hours or, or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's just post-op care from same day surgery. Uh, and then it's kind of evolved into you know, an umbrella of things. Uh, so it could be patient advocacy, it could be, uh, you know, medic going to people's appointments and, and all kinds of stuff. So um, yeah, that that's that in itself is brilliant, because there are so many people, uh, my, my husband included, um, who always takes me to his appointments with them, mm -hmm. because he can't remember what they say, or he doesn't know what in the world they're talking about. And so you having that service where somebody could actually go with you is a phenomenal idea. Yeah. And especially for like, you know, there's a lot of elderly people. We have one nurse that's down in Florida and, you know, she originally started in the post-op um, for plastic surgery patients, but she kept getting calls from people who are like, can you go check on my mom? Can mm -hmm. you go? take my mom to her oncology appointment. Can you do this? Can you just, and so she's like really specialized in that. And she's just mm -hmm. doing, she's very, very busy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I imagine that that would be <clears throat> like a very good uh, service to have in a lot of areas, especially mm -hmm. in a rural area. Yeah. I live in a very rural area and it's a, it's a fantastic idea because they don't have a lot of access to healthcare right. around in a lot of places and what they do have, you know, you have to travel for it. And then there's no family members that live in the same state or anywhere close. So I think that's superb. Yeah. And it, it's, it's one-on-one -on -one patient care, which is really mm -hmm. nice. It's on the outside of the hospital because they don't mm -hmm. value it in the hospital. But the only reason you go into the hospital is for nursing care. There is no other reason. Otherwise, I could just do outpatient surgery, right? Like mm -hmm. you know, 
only reason that you stay in the hospital is to get a nurse and nurses care, but they don't, you know, the hospital system doesn't seem to care about us as nurses. So when you're mm -hmm. kind of yourself from the hospital and it's like, well, what can I do? Well, you can do nursing outside of the hospital and actually get paid for it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and make what you're worth instead of make a lot. Yeah, you're making a lot more here's money. 12, here's $12 an hour. Um, the, your raise will be 50 cents. Right. And when you look at what they pay these staffing agencies to bring in nurses and then what mm -hmm. they pay there, it's ridiculous. So you, the money's mm -hmm. there and they're always like, oh, I don't have any money. Well, you, yeah, you, that's because you're spending $150 an hour on a staffing agency nurse and that nurse is getting, what, 45 bucks or something. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, of course, you don't make any money. We have lots of nurses that have started staffing agencies, too, just for that reason. Well, and I was just going to say that most of the hospital hospital facilities now have um, a staffing agency or at least a recruiter on site. Yeah. And, and that's what they do. And they, you know, negotiate contracts and, and whatever. And the fee that they pay is just astronomical. And it's just kind of like, well, you know what, you wouldn't need them if you actually invested in the nurses who actually work there. You mm -hmm. know, because what happens is those nurses leave and then they join the agency and then they come back to the same hospital making twice as much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And it's just kind of like, it, it's, it's so. And weird. I, and good good for the staffing agencies to, that yep. they started something like that because they saw the value in staff right where the hospital facilities well, what doing do not leveraging the stupidity of the hospital management is what they're oh doing. absolutely and and obviously uh they're able to get one over on management literally everywhere because uh yeah they're very successful doing staffing or even Travel nursing yeah. is a fantastic idea. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand why you would stay at your hospital. And there was a point in our hospital system where a new nurse was coming in and was making more than a senior nurse who had been there for 20 years. And mm -hmm. in order for that senior nurse to make as much money as the new, she'd have to quit and, you know, be rehired. And it's just mm -hmm. kind of, like, come on. Yeah, and that's the thing I don't think a lot of people understand is what the pay is like. Um, and what the hours are like and the amount of work that is thrown on top of you that you're expected to do all while talk, taking, you know, pay cuts and we're, we're going to have to cut some staff because, you know, we overspent. We had a, <laughs> I worked at a facility that um, they had the brilliant idea to build a glass hospital all glass, fancy building in this little tiny town, which was stupid. And so they were building it. They ran out of money, uh, way overspent on projects that weren't even included in the original plans. Then they expected every single staff member at the hospital, all the way down to housekeeping, janitorial, the whole nine yards, expected everyone per pay to give to this fund so they could finish the facility. Hmm. And then when they got enough people donating and funding and, you know, whatever, every paycheck, then they came through with staff cuts. Oh. And they're like, this, pro this, you know, this cost us more than we what we thought it would. And so 
first we're going to take volunteers to take retirement. <laughs> then the next level is we're going to force people to take early retirement. And then after that, it's just cuts. Oh and they they cut a huge portion of our nursing staff because of that. And then when they built the facility, they put like the meds and stuff really far away from the nurse's station, like all the way down at the other end of the hall. <laughs> Supplies, meds, everything that you need, like not even close to where your patient rooms were. Very stupid ideas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like they didn't talk to the nurses. Yeah, gotta love it. So do you see in the future, like, um, little robot nurses i think they're gonna try care. i really do you know they just mm -hmm. had an ai conference where they had robots mm -hmm. panelists um mm -hmm. you know they're certainly at that point um and they don't think we do very much so you know i you know i think they uh they will i, w I do think they'll try that now how much do you think that uh AI generated stuff like chat GPT and, and things like that. How much do you think that is going to factor into um, writing research papers and all of that stuff? Do you think there's ever going to be any more original thought from people or do you think it's going to be all AI generated? Cause it's so easy to do. Yeah, no, it's, it's and people are lazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's certainly going to be a lot of, of uh, just kind of like regurgitated crap, but that's what there mm -hmm. is now is just less of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, AI is a, is certainly a tool and it can make your life way easier. I mean, I use AI every day. Like I, I love chat GPT. It's, it's just my husband. Yeah. He's addicted. <laughs> my favorite thing. And we, we build templates and stuff and it facilitates things so massively, right? Like we mm -hmm. can, 10 times the work in a fraction of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of the stuff that we do is repetitive. It's the same thing or whatever. So we, we create templates that, you know, tell GPT how we want it structured. But I mean, it's, it's, it can be garbage in garbage out, but you know, mm -hmm. the right way it can facilitate things and it can certainly make research papers much easier to read, you know, cause a lot of the crap that's out there is, is really bad. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I guess uh, it, it's certainly an art to be able to write and put um, papers together. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it, it's like anything, you know, as you're evolving, like, is this really a necessary thing? You, I mean, you have to be able to think. Uh, and I we probably are going to start losing <laughs> a lot of that. <laughs> but I was going to say, there is not a whole lot of critical thinking taking place. Right. Um but I'm not sure it was happening. In the recent future, <laughs> recent past. I... <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you do have to think through how you want to structure the paper, um, you know, but yeah, it, it's certainly going to be way easier for upcoming generations to churn stuff out. Mm -hmm. And cheat. <laughs> I, had, I had some cheaters when I was teaching. Yeah. So... Tell me, like, as far as your business goes, do you help them, like, just get started? Or are you there, like, coaching, like, along the way and and following up and, and doing stuff like that? Do you offer classes and 
So we offer classes and then we uh, have started a marketing platform as well because, you know, at first it was just a handful of nurses and now we have like, there's lots of nurse businesses out there and they keep coming back to us asking us to help them with marketing. So this last year, 2023, we invested heavily in marketing solutions, trying to find affordable options that uh, will that actually work because there's a lot of stuff out there that's either right. time intensive or too expensive or whatever. So it, it took us a long time to find the right mix. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then we've been beta testing it um, all summer. And then this fall, we've really you know, kind of found a sweet spot with it. So that's good. That's fantastic. And so if somebody were interested in like um, what you have to offer and what you can help them do, how do they, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah. I mean, they can just go to nursepreneurs.com. Um, we do have a web chat widget there and it, it, it is live people that are answering questions. Um, you know, they can set up for a consultation, find out more about, you know, what kind of entrepreneur are you? Like, what is the best uh, type of business for you to go into? Um, you know, it's, it's easy to wrap your mind around what an IV hydration business is, right? And what you would mm -hmm. be and it's not so easy to wrap your mind around like, hey, I'm an oncology nurse, like how can I make money at this? Because there's a lot of ways um, and we can we run through those with the nurses. And then we yeah. also help nurses make the decision if this is even right, because a lot of nurses come and they really just want to get out of debt and make more money. And starting a business is wouldn't be my first choice. <laughs> for <them>. Right. Because <laughs> you spend a lot of money, you have to invest a lot of money up front. And um, if you're already stressed, probably a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, so we talk them out of, um, you know, starting a business right at that moment anyway. So you have like a, a consultative team that can like help somebody and talk through an idea and, you know, bring it to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. So we helps and we'll help them pick the right program uh, to explore it further. So we help them first identify what it is that they want to do. Uh, and then they go into deeper discussions from there. And then, you know, it's, it's all no obligation. We don't press, I don't believe in high pressure sales. So, you know, if they want it, great. We're here. If they don't, you know, we're still here, but. <laughs> I saw somebody on your website said, um, something about you guys talked to her about starting a business that she didn't know she needed to start or something. <laughs> I've had a couple of them. I had one nurse who told me she wanted to be a health coach. And I was like, this is really depressing. Like she was really sad about it. And I'm like, are you sure you want to be a health coach? Because I'm really getting some bad vibes here. I'm like, think about this. <laughs> Come back. I don't think that's the right avenue <laughs> she started talking about technology and i'm like why don't you start a business in technology and she's like i didn't know i could and i'm like yes of course you can like you know mm -hmm. so that was the path we sent her down mm -hmm. yeah see and i think that's fantastic and and i'm so glad that you're doing that because it nurses are so intelligent and driven and they make fantastic business owners and so to have a place where they can, you know, launch ideas and, and, you know, chat with somebody about ideas outside of their family or their friend circle or whatever. I think it's fantastic that you started that. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing <laughs> yeah. that because you're doing God's work right there. I think it's fabulous. So um, is there anywhere else that they can find you besides the nursepreneurs website? 
yeah. So, I mean, we're all over social media. So Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, LinkedIn, and they're all under nursepreneurs. You just have to search that and you'll find us. All right. Fantastic. Well, Miss Katie, it has been an honor and a pleasure chit-chatting with you today. I'm very happy that you decided to come on and, and spend time with me. And I hope that uh, for my nurse friends out there that are listening, I hope you get a hold of Katie and she can help you to change your life for the better um, and not take pay cuts anymore. <laughs> no more pay cuts. <laughs> <laughs> so for me and for Katie, thanks so much. Make sure you go to nursepreneurs.com. Check that out. Um, check out her social media stuff. And so we will see you next time. Have a good one.